Hey guys, if you're looking to order custom team apparel for this freestyle and Greco season, look at SpartanCombat.com. They're running a special right now on custom team apparel, whether it's for Fargo, the NHSCA duels, or your freestyle and Greco state. Please consider Spartan Combat. Go to SpartanCombat.com to place your order. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome back to Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's so good to be back. I feel like it's been forever since we've had a normal episode. Last Monday, we dropped all three episodes of our most recent audio documentary, Escape from Inglewood. The response has been phenomenal. Thank you, everyone, who listened, who sent a tweet, sent a message, sent a text. It really means a lot to know that these stories are well-received. This episode is with Raleigh Peterkin. Raleigh is a former wrestler for Penn. He's a retired MMA fighter who used to fight down in Peru. Now he's a, a traveling nomad. He's a good friend of mine, and he helps me with the story consulting on these audio docs. So... He's probably the only person other than me that knows what we go through to make these audio documentaries. And in this episode, Raleigh comes on, interviews me a little bit. We talk about Escape from Inglewood, and we talk about what's next in the documentary pipeline. So I hope you enjoy it. Fan of the week goes to our friend Ty Seaman from Storm Lake, Iowa. Recently purchased a Wrestling Change My Life t-shirt. So thank you very much, Ty. We greatly appreciate it. If you want to purchase merchandise... Go to store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. Now that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Raleigh Peterkin. Raleigh Peterkin, welcome back to the Wrestling Change My Life podcast, my friend. Yeah, no, I'm so happy to be here. We we talk all the time, and it's so great to see you again and to, to chat about the amazing projects you're working on and, and all of this stuff. It's been such a pleasure. And so, uh, yeah, let's, let's get into it for sure. Yeah. And, uh, folks who listen to the audio documentaries, we just released escape from Inglewood on Monday, Raleigh and I worked together during the last month of these projects in what I call the story consulting phase. And, and Raleigh and I are on the phone daily, um, really from the last epi- last month on from when the editing begins to when you guys hear it. So, Usually it starts with me sending Raleigh a message saying we're ready for the next project and I start sending him rough cuts and then we get on the phone and hash it out. So you're probably the only person who knows these stories, the level that I do. So it's always fun to, to be able to hash it out with these. It's been a week, Raleigh. How are you feeling about things, brother? 
No, I'm I'm great. I'm so excited that people are getting a chance to hear this story. You know, like when we were going into it, one of the things uh, at the at the kind of beginning of the the process, I didn't know the story as well. You know, some of the other ones we worked on, Brandon Slay and Satiev and and Smiths. You know, like I learned so much throughout the process, but you know, I knew the general story arc, and this one was was a new one to me, and it was it was so much fun to work on, and you know. I think it speaks to you that you found this kind of diamond in the rough and and found this story and put it out there in the world. And in a, in a way, this one feels a little bit more like kind of journalism than 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 the rest, where it's like you really nurtured this story and and, and brought it to life. And so, you know, I just kind of like I, I want to get into you know your background with this story. This is a little more personal for you than the other ones coming from uh, coming from Illinois. This is a true illinois story from from the from the heartland from chicago and uh you know talk a little bit about your background with this story what you know you you grew up idolizing these guys when you when you're a kid wrestling you were you were you were looking up to guys like tony davis and and tj williams and so talk about that yeah so growing up where i did in illinois western illinois you know three hours west of chicago Whenever we would go to tournaments in the Chicagoland area, these teams would like they'd be in matching warmups and they they would like psych you up before you even got there. And so when you add in the Harvey Twisters, this legendary club, it was like that times ten. I mean, we were like these farm kids coming up to these tournaments, just excited to be there. And then these guys would roll in. The Twisters would be forty deep, you know, matching red jumpsuits, and it was just like another level of intensity and. Once you start to see that world, you're like, all right, there's levels of this. And then it's like, you know, as you get down to state for the first time as a middle schooler, you look in the program and you see like, you know, who are like the the two-time champs, the three-time champs. And there was this special section of five-time champs. And at the time, there were two of them, Tony Davis and Israel Martinez. And so, you know, growing up with my fascination for the twisters and then kind of sorting out who's the most legendary twister, this Tony Davis name came about and literally like i said in the in the documentary from my early days in middle school wrestling all the way through high school you would hear this name kind of in like a mythical like a mythical guy like you'd hear him hear about him in the hallways or hear about him warming up and you never really knew what the story was like why did he only wrestle at state two years in high school what was going on with you know his life after wrestling and so it was always just a big question mark to me and i found out a lot of the times the best results are just following your curiosity and so this was just a story that fascinated me and uh not just the wrestling the part about living in a very dangerous neighborhood and that kind of side of life just i don't know it's intriguing and um this story kind of tied it all in so it was it's definitely personal to me did i guess you probably never he was a bit older so you probably never interacted with him in in those days and so what was it like when you finally like were sitting in front i guess you interviewed him on the podcast first and then you actually were sitting in front of him for this uh this documentary and so what must that have been like for you it was exciting because i had i've never met him in person until this december and so when i called tony to do to pitch the story to him it was october and it was kind of like 30 minute call the call ended and i'm like I don't know if this guy realized what he just signed up for, you know, that we're going to go all in on this. And so (laughs) that was like mid October. And then by the time I I met him in December, he's like, man, people are calling me. You're interviewing this guy, that guy. And so when I finally flew out there to North Carolina to interview him, it was, uh, I was definitely nervous and 
it doesn't matter who I'm interviewing. Anytime it's in person, it's just an, another level of nerves. But um, it was awesome. He was like the coolest guy ever. He actually had to teach a private wrestling class. So I got to his house about five. He had to teach a private wrestling class out of his garage for an hour and a half. I went back to the hotel. He came over to my hotel. We did the interview for about two hours. And then I flew back a month later, like the day after Christmas, and did another interview for about an hour and a half. And um, that one was like, we were old friends, you know, the nerves were gone, but it was incredible just to sit down with them and just to see how open he was. Like, I was just blown away by how much he was willing to share and, you know, what levels he was willing to go to on some of the stuff. You know, you were saying how he was kind of like surprised about how all in you were. And, you know, I think that's something that I was surprised too from the beginning when we first started working on the uh, the Smiths. And, you know, because you meet a lot of people that are like, yeah, I'm going to do this project or whatever. But when you do something, you really do go all in. I mean, you you flew to Amarillo, Texas to, to interview Slay's childhood friends. And, you know, you're going all over the place, you know, finding finding the right voice actor for, uh, oh, for Satya. For Satya. That was insane. <laughs> I was just, uh, that's a lot different story. But so that uh, was Raleigh's yeah. friend, folks. Uh, the person who played Satiev in episode two of Slaying Satiev. I had gone through several voice actors on Fiverr and Raleigh's friend, Vlad, came through for the rescue. Unbelievable. I just was showing my mom that the other day. I was like, <laughs> hey, Vlad has this Russian accent he can do and played it. And, uh, we, had a, we had a good laugh. But, uh, but yeah, so like you're just going so all in on these episodes and like doing it so professional, like you just, you just jump right into it. And so talk, talk a little bit about your process with that. Yeah. So it's, I'm definitely an obsessive person and it's good for me to have outlets for like things to obsess on in you know, four to six month increments. So anytime I do one of these, there's kind of definitive stages that I follow. First stage is just research. And that's usually about a month where I spend four to five weeks, just Googling, reading anything I can on the person or the world that we're going to be living in throughout the story. And then it's a process of doing interviews. And for like this one interview started the second week in November and they wrapped up the end of December. And so that's something where it's like, maybe, maybe I'm going to, I did want a trip to Omaha because his junior college coaches were an hour North and then coach Manning at Nebraska was right there. So that's a week. And then another week, maybe I'll do his family and his Chicago friend. So, you know, seven to eight weeks of interviews. And then the real process begins because I always set the story out before the interviews start. Like I know that what the episodes are going to be, what the turning points are going to be, but then you get into the interviews and you learn so much more that you have to you know, change the structure. Oh, that must be wild. Yeah. It's so crazy. And then, um, and then like the process of uploading all those interviews, each one's about an hour. And for this one, I did 20 interviews, um, uploading them to a tool called Descript and it transcribes all of them. So to text. And then I read I use them that all. Too. I use that too. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. And then, um, and then the last big phase is the script writing, write out the script for episode one, two, and three, revise it. And then, uh, then I give you a call and it's about the editing. And, you know, by the time we're editing, I have a couple of things that have to be done. The script has to be done. All the interviews need to be cleaned and like professional, professionally like background noise removed. And then the other thing is the music. So this time I ordered four new songs and the last time I ordered new songs was for the Smiths. So kind of like day one of editing, I have all those things in different bends, the music, I have the script, I have the interviews and then all the archival I'm going to use. And then it's just kind of starting at episode one and 
I'm recording the narration as I edit. So I might clip three pieces, record the narration, clip three more, and then keep going until you're at the end of each episode. So it's about yeah, seven months total. I mean, it's 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 super impressive. Even me seeing it, seeing it from the inside sometimes, it's so impressive the amount of work and diligence that it comes into it. And I remember you telling me that you were like a really distracted student and everything like that. And then I'm like, how do you have the the focus to to really like? I mean, you're seeing it through from from start to finish, and the, the kind of commitment to you know bite off this huge project and not take these baby steps. You're really like really committing to it and like. I don't know. This is just something I'm curious about. Like what the, the, the Ryan Warner story, how do you, how do you get this focus? It's like I said, it comes back to being obsessive. And if, you know, I wasn't the best high school student because I wasn't that into the topic, but once I got to college and I could really pick what I liked, I would go all, go all in on it. And so I really enjoyed that. You know, it's like, if you find something you're interested in, it's I'm all in on it. And these stories take so long, these audio docs, like anywhere from, you know, six, seven, eight months that if you're not just in love with the topic, you're going to get tired of it. Cause there's multiple points throughout that seven month process where you're kind of wanting to try a new project or something comes on your plate and you'd like to do it, but you can't cause you have four months left with this. So it, to me, it's just like finding these topics that actually interest me. And that's how I get obsessive on things. And, you know, maybe school wasn't that interesting to me at given times. And, uh, and yeah, I was just a terrible reader, by the way. I had to get a lot better. <laughs> I had to get a lot better at reading, but um, yeah, now it's just I also couldn't read till I was like nine or something like that. Like I was also a ADD really? kid. So yeah. Yeah. My, um, I, in, uh, so I went to junior college for two years, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I went to a division three college and ended up getting a degree in philosophy. And the only reason I did that was because they didn't have a history degree which I wanted to just get a history major because I thought history was, ah, history was cool. Now it makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. So I was obsessed with history. And then- Yeah, I mean, we, we love talking about anytime, you know, when you get into Satyev and, and the, the Chechnya and Dagestan and here you have Chicago and you get these other stories coming in. Yeah. And it's something that I know when we're talking about, we both always get really excited about these kind of other stories. So it makes sense you're into history. Yeah, and I- um that kind of started in my junior year of college. And then I get into philosophy and it's like an independent study where it's just me and the teacher, basically. And he'd give me a text to read, I'd read it, break it down and write a paper on it. And so that process of research is where it started. And that's basically still the same stuff I'm doing now, like researching a topic like crazy and then kind of forming your opinion on how it goes. And uh, right about this time in college, when I got into philosophy and like got excited about learning. I got into documentaries and I was just obsessed with documentaries. And so that kind of started around the same time. So I know that you love documentaries and specifically 30 for 30. What is your favorite 30 for 30 episode? Man, I would say or one that's inspired you one that really like, was there one when you kind of said like, Oh, this is cool. I want to do something like this. Like, was there one that really hit the spot there? I love a couple of them. I love Fab Four, which is, or Fab Five, excuse me, which is about the Michigan uh, basketball team in like the 90s when it was all freshmen. First time four freshmen who were African-American started and they were just like dominant. And then it came out that they were doing recruiting violations. So it was like a great rise and a big fall. So yeah, that yeah. that one's really good. I love the uh, Coach Calipari one, which, which is one and not done about this phenomena of like college players going going to play basketball in college for one year than going pro and now this one coach kind of embraced it so that's that those are two of my favorites 
but by far and away, I mean, the last dance is like unbelievable. The last dance is so freaking good. And this director who did that also did fab five, which is the Michigan basketball story. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember we talked about that a lot, especially I think when we were kind of still newer to the game doing the Smiths, uh, that was kind of a touchstone for us. I think like it was kind of helped us develop the language and the kind of the, the infrastructure, the structure to deal with it. You know, I'd say to you like, Oh, you know, in, in, in the Michael Jordan, doc, they did this or that, you know, it was yeah. like, it was, it was something that, and I know it definitely inspired you. And yeah, it's kind of one of those things that it's so cool because it's like any good sports story. I mean, anything any good sports story is not just the guy wins and he loses it's about more than that it's about the human it's about the 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 environment that he grows grows up in he or she grows up in Mm -hmm. the 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 historical context the the all of these things and so that's why i think that this tony davis documentary that we just did was so special is that you know he's an ncaa champion he's an amazing wrestler he's he's a stud there's a lot of great wrestlers out there though, but his story was just so unique, you know, coming from inner city, Chicago, uh, gang violence and, and all these things. And so, you know, it was definitely a difficult story to tell. It's difficult. It poses its own challenges, right? You have, you have racial issues, you have violence and, uh, and, and all of the, this, this complex story of this rise and fall, it's almost, Shakespearean and so yeah you know, talk about some of the, the difficulties that that you faced in telling the story my big thing was this was like the first story we told that wasn't really a wrestling story like the Smiths was a wrestling story slaying satia was about a wrestling match this was almost as much about inner city chicago life and making it out of the you know whatever environment you're in kind of as you say a coming to age story as much as it was wrestling a side story and so i was really nervous that episode two would be like is there enough wrestling in this because episode oh, one that's my favorite me episode too is my favorite episode two <laughs> might be the most favorite one we've ever done um, yeah yeah I, that's the best i like when i listen to it i just i'm supposed to give you notes on it and i just wanted to listen to it. i just wanted to hear what's happening next even yeah i just listened to it again it was like it was just such a pleasure. I mean, I mean, not, it's a sad, it's a crazy story, but it's, it's riveting. Yeah, it, it is. And it's like, so that was a big piece of it. I, as I'm writing it, I'm thinking like, are people even going to care about this? Like, this is a wrestling podcast. Why? But obviously that's, you know, when you're in the depths of it, you're doubting yourself, you're self-loathing, like you don't think anyone's going to like it. So, you know, of course I go through some of those internal doubts, but definitely the, just the fact that again, to me, this was more than a wrestling story. It kind of reminded me of, the 30 for 32 Escobars. Have you ever seen that? I, I think I saw those all so long ago. What's it about? So this one is about the Colombian national team's best player was an Escobar. And like the big money guy on the team was Pablo Escobar. And through all this drug money, Colombia became one of the best teams in the world. And at the World Cup, the Escobar player actually kicked a ball into his own goal and they lost the game and he ended up getting murdered by the cartel. So it's a crazy story. It, I mean, that part doesn't go down to the Tony Davis, but it just reminded me like half the documentary is this cartel drug lord story. And that that fascinates me. And just like, I hope this, you know, inner city life story kind of fascinates people because it's like, I don't think anyone has any idea how harsh it is to grow up in some of these communities in the United States. And like what people go through is just like so inspiring. And like this story really is 
like the definition of how did wrestling change your life? Like, this is like a perfect example of that. And because of that inspiration, like the hard parts of the story weren't as daunting because it just seemed like this is something that I've been dying to tell, you know, this kind of Chicago story. The other thing that was daunting, I would say is because where I'm from, like the twisters hold such a place of on the shelf awesomeness that like, I wanted to make sure to the Illinois people that I did coach Quint, right. That I did the twisters, right. That when you walk away from this, even if you've never been to the Illinois kids state tournament, you can get an appreciation for how special they are because it's just like, it's hard to describe unless you're from Illinois. And so I didn't want any Illinois homers to be like, bro, you freaking, (laughs) you barely touched on the twisters. What was that about? So I had to balance that. Isn't it funny how, when you do any, you know, whether it's writing or any stuff, you always have these imaginary audience in your head, right? Like you have, and there's always, for me, there's always like, certain people you know <laughs> i think like what would this person say what would this person say what would this person say who who is your kind of your kind of imaginary audience in your head when you're when you're doing it's, this oh there's a couple definitely <laughs> you are you're definitely one because i whenever i'm in a whenever i'm in a spot where like i feel like the match is going on too long i'm like raleigh would want this half as long like don't even like get out of the match sooner so like whenever it's an action sequence i'm thinking about you when it's um it's funny because a lot of times it's not even wrestling people because I want these to be listened to by someone who's never seen a wrestling match and still enjoy it. So a lot yeah. of times it'll be like, all right, this, this buddy who I hang out with who has no, no idea about wrestling. Like I've seen yeah, this podcast yeah. and he likes him. So I'm like, man, what would, would he care about the Montrose classic tournament? No, get it out. Like this, would he care about the weight class? Maybe keep it in, you know? So I, a lot of times I think about people who aren't even, who are just buddies of mine who I respect what they do and I want them to love wrestling as much as I do. And so I hope that by sending them these stories, they start to get an appreciation for it and they can understand it. Yeah. That's so important. I mean, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people like randomly I'm traveling or something. And I say, Oh, the, did you see the last dance? And they say, no, I don't like basketball. I'm like, I don't like basketball either. Like, I don't like, there's nothing no. about basketball. I'm like, but it doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's again, as going back to what we said before, it's a human story. It's a human uh the the life of a person and and getting into that and yeah i mean like obviously you know wrestling is a little bit different it's a little more of a kind of inner circle kind of sport yeah and uh and and so yeah we have to kind of air a little bit more on the side of that but it's uh no i i think i think it's really great to to find that balance and to have those those different people and i think that's why these stories resonate with so many people and and you know just to just personally, like, I think I'm not someone that follows the minute by minute wrestling of, of, of who said what and who's going what weight and all this stuff. But I always enjoyed your podcast. I think that's one of the reasons why, because you are really focused on the the human side of it and, yeah. and the, the kind of quirks of it. And actually that's one of, when, when, when we're editing these episodes, anytime there's like, you know me, like I love the quirky things. If it's like the the, the scene of uh, John Smith at, in Philadelphia at the what fast food chain were there? Some fast <laughs> I was food chain. I was wondering <laughs> which one you were gonna say. Yeah, but like, oh, but anyway, like all these like weird little like quirky things. I'm like, I'm like, leave yeah. it in. It's great. Some weird detail about them, you know? Yeah, my uh, it's it's funny you say that because there's so many of those moments, and I'd, I'd like to just get your thoughts. Here are a couple of mine that stick out. Like one of the weirdest moments that I uncovered totally by chance was during the Smiths when we found out that John Smith and Randy Lewis were playing poker in Vegas. 
and John yeah. Smith was calling him out for not being able to make weight. Like that was one that I just, it maybe wasn't as like non-wrestling quirky, but it was just so like bizarre that that happened. And like the amount of times things line up in real life that you couldn't even write about like that, it just blows my mind. Like the fact that John Smith wrestled Randy Lewis when Randy Lewis beat his brother four years before, like all like yeah. so many of these coincidences just come into play or like Brandon Slay having the relationship with Dave Schultz and then representing the Dave Schultz wrestling club at the Olympics. It's just like freaking wild, man. How all these things come around like that. Yeah. And I love those scenes too, because they're so visceral. They're so like, you, you can imagine John Smith and Randy Lewis sitting next to each other at poker table. Like it's a scene, it's a real thing. It's like in your, in your head. Yeah. And you think like you can see him cracking a smile and, and busting his balls or whatever, whatever it is, you know, they have that, yeah. that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and that's super cool. And there were like, I mean, a lot of those, like with um in, in this recent one with, with Tony Davis, you know, talking to his family, his brothers, his, his mom had some, some colorful, some oh, colorful commentary. She's, she was a, she was a feisty one. She was great. And um, you can make a yeah, couple of t-shirts out of Lolita Davis quotes. <laughs> <laughs> at least, yeah. man. man, what yeah, did you think about uh, TJ Williams? Did you know him at all before this story? I knew the name and he was always like this guy. And if you asked me about TJ Williams, I said, yeah, he's probably a two-time NCAA champ or something, you know, like right. I knew he was a good wrestler, but I didn't know the details of him. And, and um, again, it's a little, a little ahead of our time. And it's kind of like, you, you always know those names and it, it was so cool getting to know him. He seems like such a humble, oh, like so great humble. guy. I mean, and Tony too, like yeah. the two of them are just humble. And I'm telling you, man, listening to it, you just get chills. I mean, well, I hope everyone listening to this podcast has already listened to that, but uh, you know, like when they wrestled in the finals and that's why I'm saying spoiler alert, but uh, yeah. when they wrestled in the finals, uh, you know, and you know, they say I love you to each other after the batch and everything. Oh. It was just like you just get such chills. And then I mean, even when um when when Tony loses to Reggie Wright in the States and TJ says that he cried too, and then he went out there and he wrestled. Yeah. And it's just like it's just like, man, like you said before, you you couldn't write this stuff. Like no. you couldn't this is like a I mean, they should make a movie of this. This is like a, a nice drama, like you have all the uh all the component parts to it. So, and how about yeah. Reggie Wright being Tony's only loss of senior year out of the way to Oki state like that, that never died out. Like Reggie and Tony were going right down to the end. And then when they wrestled in Juco, when he's like, I thought I saw a ghost. That yeah. to me is like the craziest part of this. Oh my God, bro. It's just so many angles like that. Yeah. When he went like, cause it's before social media. Like we talked about this, right. Yeah. It's like, it's before, like nowadays it would be posted on flow and it would be a thing. And it'd see the, that you'd see his Instagram update of here's where I'm wrestling and blah, blah, blah. But then like, it's so crazy because Tony Davis disappeared for what, 18 months. And, yeah. and then uh, Reggie Wright just sees him at a Juco tournament. And it's like, I thought I saw a ghost, you know, and then he's like, he's like, man, I was he's not in my bracket. And he goes and checks and he said he is. And they had, they had these battles and like, yeah, I mean, Reggie Ray, I knew too. Yeah. Like, like I was, I was more in the Okie state sphere and yeah. uh, I didn't know his, you know, there's so much, you know, and it just makes me think like, there's so many more of these stories to uncover. Like this yeah. is just one. And like, I wish we could do one of these every every month or whatever and and dig into them like there's there's so many more i mean of course like there's the you know there's the big ones and and flo's done a, a bunch of them or whatever but like you just think how many other stories like this are there out there you know 
million, like not millions, but thousands. I really think there are so many. And it's like, you have to have the right piece, just the right things coming together. Like for this one, we got lucky because there was a lot of archival from the, the kid state tournament and from the Illinois high school state tournament. They recorded everything back then. So that was like really nice to have that. An archival for people that don't know is like the announcers talking at like a wrestling match. So you have the like up on mat three is Joe Smith, you know, right kind of stuff. Yeah, no, and that's like to me that's some of my favorite part is weaving in that old original audio from from like the kid state tournament or you know whatever it's from. And like I was worried because we didn't have any archival from the JUCO stuff, so that I was a little worried that that might be a little dry. I I didn't even I didn't even notice that. See, yeah. How about the fact that uh, a buddy of mine who listened to it, he he texted me, never watched a wrestling match in his life. He's a he's actually a trader, retired trader. He's like, I had no idea that Brock Lesnar was like in those same circles, like like actual wrestler. Like it, that's just another crazy tie-in, right? I mean, so, go ahead. No, so there was one thing that we actually cut out of the final documentary, and I want to give you a chance to talk about it now is how many of these guys were in JUCO at the time. Tell me about this. Like, tell me about this. You said it was the goal. So we, we the we era of like the JUCO didn't, transfer. We, we, we didn't have like a lot of space for it, and we need to make it a little snappier. So like, yeah, let's 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 talk about that now. Like that was insane. I mean, you yeah, had, you had Brock Lesnar, Daniel Cormier. I mean, just tell me tell me about it. You, yeah, you're it's the like expert. Yeah, they call it the era of the Juco transfer. And that was going to be like its own kind of scene and theme of the story because you had Tony and TJ, obviously, Reggie Wright, Brock Lesnar, Jamil Kelly, Mark Munoz, Daniel Cormier. I mean, so Munoz, DC, and Cormier. I'm sorry, Munoz, Jamil Kelly, and DC. All also, Mo, Mo Lawal, too, right? Mo, Mo Lawal. Was, was he a few years later, though? He might have been a few years later. He might have been. I'm not exactly sure his time, but I mean that's just another guy. I had a I had a note card of all the guys who came out, and it's like Kane Velasquez. Not too long after, um, it's just crazy how many yeah. how much talent was in JUCO back then. And then you look at the 2000 era, all those same dudes who won titles at Iowa Central, instead of going Division One, they just went UFC. Like yeah, John Jones, Colby, right? John Jones, Colby, and um, and Kane. They all won national titles at Iowa Central or were in the finals went on to UFC and were like some of the best that's ever done it. You know, it's like so these, these guys just didn't have the grades to, right. I mean, they were, they're obviously top recruits, all these guys, but they didn't have the grades to, to, to right. get into these schools. So they had to go spend a few years there and then, and then transfer. It's so crazy. Like just because of like something like grades, they sacrificed like a few years of, D1 eligibility but I mean again it worked out for them like they all yeah. like, you, like you can't say oh it's a shame that oh it's a shame that Daniel Cormier wound up <laughs> you know well think about it worked out for them like if you were at the 98 Juco Nationals there were two future Olympians there Jamil Kelly and DC I mean that that right there is just ridiculous I mean Jamil Kelly Jamil Kelly was never an All-American to it D1 right like right and then he and he's a he's a silver medalist like that's a that's a crazy story too I mean like well Reggie Wright TJ Williams and Jamil were all on that same team that's yeah they all those guys at uh at at Oki State and like Daniel Cormier I mean like the guy has a crazy story. I mean, like you could do a whole, you could do a whole documentary on, on DC and his, his wrestling days. I mean, he's now this like mega superstar in, in the UFC, but like, I mean, what a story that guy has, you know? Unbelievable. And he's one of the guys who first, 
when it was at the 04 Olympic trials, I've told the story a bunch, but I was a freshman in high school and it was my birthday present. My birthday's May 31st. So my mom drove me to Indianapolis for the 04 trials. And there was when DC made it for the first time. Kale went three matches with Lee Fullhart. Like it was just a great trials. And so that was the first time I saw DC and he just was unbelievable. Like really short guy, had great combat speeds, black and red. And he was like, they had in like the Gator wrestling club was big. So they all like the Gator on their singlet. It was just badass. And I was like, man, those guys are awesome. And Oklahoma state was the best at that time. And so I was, every guy's obsessed with John Smith. So I was obsessed with John Smith. And so of course, of course, all those do, I mean, they had an Oh four Oklahoma state had three Olympians and 2005 too. They had five champs. Was that the, what, Oh, in the, at the nationals. Yeah. That's like yeah, yeah, were, NCAs. Yeah. They were rolling. And so, yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, really was fascinated with DC and then, Oh wait, you know, everyone was kind of shocked that he didn't make weight. And then, you know, he goes on to be a global superstar in UFC. And I just remember an article I read probably like 10 years ago that, you know, after Oh wait, DC was down and out and like totally depressed, broke way overweight, living in a studio apartment in Stillwater and then got his start in UFC and or an MMA and went all the way. So it's just like, what a story. Yeah. Again, as we said before, there's, there's, there's stories everywhere and that would be an amazing one to do, huh? Like amazing. To, to get to do DC. I mean, the global superstar that he is now. And I mean, he's, he's my favorite. He's my favorite too. And you see his personality is amazing. And uh, yeah, I went, I remember like from, from my perspective, I was at uh, Oki state camp when I was a kid and dude, it was crazy. I, you just said Mark Munoz. I remember Mark Munoz. I was just telling my dad this other day. He picked us up at the airport. He was like the shuttle driver. Mark Munoz picked us up to, to bring us back oh. home. DC was my counselor, my direct counselor. And so he used to call me Rowley. He'd be like, hey, Rowley. Rowley. <laughs> and I saw him a few years ago at a UFC event. And he came up and he's like, he's like, Rowley, Peter. And so, uh, Dude, yeah, I love He's a special guy, guys. man. He's unbelievable. Yeah. 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 And I mean, given the, uh, the, the, the history with John Smith, uh, documentary and everything like that, that was the Smiths. That was such a classic. I wonder, I wonder if he's listened to it. I hope so. I hope he has DC. We're coming for you, big dog, wherever you're at out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, um, I look back at the, the Smiths, obviously he's a, he's like a landmark thing. This podcast did, and you had a big part in it. I don't know if there's a cooler guy to interview than Pat Smith. Like one of the nicest, just guard down guys you'll ever meet in your entire life. The whole family really though. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just how they are. They're just kind of good old boys, like, like Oklahoma, very sincere, very genuine, very authentic. I mean, that's, that's just how they, I mean, John Smith was a great interview too. Hey, he, he the, the, all, all of them there, yeah. it was amazing. And uh, yeah, that was fun, man. But, you know, I was thinking about before, by the way, to, uh, to make it a little bit about me for a second. Yeah. When please. we did the, uh, we did the Smiths. I was in Costa Rica when we did the uh, slang sativa. I was in Spain, I think. And when we did uh, the, the, this, Escape from England. I was in Turkey, so we did them from uh, from three different countries. I and just remember when you when you first sent me that that Smiths episode and was like, "You have any notes?" I was like, "Yeah, dude, I got a lot." And you like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know we'd start working together at that point. Like, I sent you that message, and then next thing you know, we uh, we're partners now, and we're 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 knocking these things out. It's awesome. And I, I as you said that, I kind of forgot. I knew you were close to Oklahoma State from your friendship with Kendall, but I forgot also that like the slang Satio story was pretty close to home with you as well, being a pen guy. 
So like, that's kind of random. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, so t- are you are you Roger Reina and everything who I've known since I was a kid, like Clint all, all these guys, Clint Motter, all these guys. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of lucky, but I mean, it's kind of the the wrestling world is just a small world in yeah. general. So actually, this this Escape from England was the first one where I had almost no, not almost. I had literally zero. no connection. Yeah. I had zero connection to any of these people. So it was kind of interesting to take a, take a, a real outside look at it. And um, what was your biggest challenge really of the edit? And you're like, if you look back to like, was there any moments of episodes one, two or three where you thought was the biggest challenge? Episode one, for sure. Because it's a hard one because yeah. um, and episode one of all, by the way, of all, of all of these series is always the hardest because, and it's the hardest in anything. When you write a book, the first chapter is hardest because you have to lay out all of the, you have to lay out the background and all of the kind of assumptions that, that then drive the rest of the thing. You have the inciting incident and all these things that, that kind of drive it. And so, yeah, it was, it was really challenging. I would say then the, there was the, like, Oh, this is gonna sound dramatic, but like disconnect between you and I, not disconnect. Like there was no disagreement. At all. Yeah. But you're, you're like, Illinois guy and you want to like tell this Illinois kid state all the way through and I'm like I don't know this stuff as much and uh right. and so yeah like it, it's super important and keeping it in and putting the background of Tony Davis is this like you know I mean Tony Davis is like the this stud he's undefeated for how many years eight, eight years some crazy years and uh and and just dominating everyone but then the story is also like that he's not really working hard and he's just kind of like this cruising by on this this uh natural talent so yeah that was the that was the hardest one to me episode two like told itself it just that was just it like episode three there were were some things there's some challenges talking about the um the different all the wrestling matches that were in there and everything like that but uh yeah episode one was was a difficult one but it came out great and I, i think it really again you know, finding that balance between, like you said, the the different voices, different people. They got there's there's different levels, right? There's someone that wrestled in Illinois and knows all these guys. There's someone that wrestled but doesn't know these guys. There's someone that wrestled and kind of knows them guy. And then there's someone that didn't wrestle at all. And so being able to placate all of those different uh, listeners is something that I think that was the biggest challenge. That yeah. was the biggest challenge in this episode and. And this this series and everything like that. So and in everyone really, but you know, like I don't know. You know when when someone tunes in to watch the Smiths or to listen to the Smiths, they know who John Smith is, and they're exactly they're they're, they're, they're sold on it. They're gonna listen to it, and you you get a little more freedom because, like I said, that that kind of like that quirky stuff. If you had a scene where it was like. I'm just totally making this up right now. But if you were like, and then John Smith ate a pop tart or something, something like something stupid like right. that, you could put that in because it'd be kind of funny. You'd be like, oh wow, I didn't know John Smith eats pop tarts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like something like that. But uh this one we had to keep it really, really tight and really direct. And and so that's why I think we were, yeah, we were a little more like, or I was a little more like uh critical and everything yeah. like that. And so yeah. It's interesting because you need something to balance you out because again, like people think their world is everyone's world. And so if it was too much of the Illinois kid stuff, but not enough of that, you know, it's just interesting balance, balancing it all. And yeah, I agree. Anytime we start the, the beginning, it's like, whew, how do you get all that exposition across and make people care, but also not bore them with details. 
that's the biggest challenge. I would say that's one of the biggest challenges in all of storytelling across any medium is exposition because you need to tell some of that stuff. You need exposition, yeah. but while weaving it in, and that's what a good like screenwriter in and anything they weave the exposition in you when you watch a movie you know you see someone they in the first scene they drop a line about their ex-wife blah 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 and it's like they can't just say oh i'm divorced you know they have to drop it in and everything like that so right. it's kind of the uh the the challenge of it and you know i guess like it's funny because we have this um streamlined not streamlined i mean it's still tough but like we we've worked through these last episodes whatever in like a really efficient manner we have a good system whatever what would you say like from the beginning and actually going back to you know gable the goat and assembly fall and even before me like how have you improved like how how has the system changed for you over over this time the big thing for me is focusing on mastering like the storytelling components and the the themes that you know we all know about if you read some of these screenwriting books or or you know, hero's journey, you know, that kind of stuff, like really understanding just like the reoccurring themes that make good stories good has been something I focused a lot on. And like Gable the Goat part one, knew nothing about story, got kind of lucky that everyone just knows that, you know, knows that person. Episode two, I didn't think was that good. Assembly Falls, the first one I did where I was using some of these themes of, you know, principles of writing, principles of storytelling. And then I felt good about that. And then the Smiths obviously used a lot of it um, slang satia, you know, so on and so forth. This one really was trying to flesh out more of like the B and C stories and make sure those were solid and not just like use them as an afterthought. Cause I, you know, that's, that was something I'd really tried to kind of work on that muscle here. So I would just say, you know, keeping this, keeping it like a story, like everyone who comes up to me at tournaments or whatever, and they say, Oh, I love this. Or I love that. It's like a story, you know, it keeps you going, which is like, that's the most important thing to me. It shouldn't just be like a documentary or a bibliography. It should be like a, you know, an up and down story from beginning to end. Yeah. That's one of my biggest things about when you watch some of these like documentaries or listen to them and there's no, they're just kind of recounting the things that happen, but there's no dramatic tension and everything like that. Like that's definitely the, uh, the, the biggest thing for me. And so being able to like, like keep that in there and, and while, while, moving the story along and everything like that is is great and so what like which one of them well i'll just tell you my vote uh, like already i would say which one is the most difficult i think the smiths was difficult just because of the complexity of it because it wasn't the john smith story it was the the smiths and so i remember that first episode like that was like a well, I was like, how do you, you're, you're talking about Smith, John, and then you bring in like Pat, and then the whole thing, and it was, it was, uh, it was quite complex. And that was, how many episodes was that? Seven? Seven. And we Seven, yeah. edited them all from the beginning of the first edit of episode one through episode seven was all done within 30 days. And I don't know how that was possible, like looking back on it, because it just seems like it just, it was massive. I think each one was different. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I didn't say anything. Uh, I thought each one was, there was different parts of each one. Like slaying Satya was tough because it was the first time a major character. I didn't interview him. Like I did interview Satya and I didn't know if the voice narrator would work, but it turns out no one even thought twice about it. Like the voiceover. They just thought that's what they just, actually, I think a lot of people just thought that was Satya. I really do. Like I don't, I don't think anyone. I, even, I just, 
Notice. I just played it. I just played it again. And at the very beginning, the first time he speaks, you said, we have a voice actor here, which yeah. is my, one of my best friends, Vlad. But <laughs> I did. I, I still can't believe that. I remember uh, the Smiths. There was one part that I was really hung up on and it was one, whether or not to break out the stuff with Leroy in 1984 and do its own episode, which was the back half of episode one. Yeah, that was, that was difficult. I remember that. There was a big, like, right in the middle of episode one. It right. just, the episode totally changed gears, and it was really difficult to, to, there was not a good answer to it either. Because you had to tie the seeds of the, of the Gable thing in early, because it would come back in um, episode two when Gable was John Smith's coach of the Goodwill Games, and that was his big breakthrough. And then in episode three, when Randy Lewis was against John Smith. So, But those three episodes, I knew they would go in that order. And then I didn't know if I'd put John and the Cuban crisis before, after I introduced Pat, like I didn't want to wait. (laughs) I didn't want to put Pat in too late. So that was the complexity there. And um, this one, I would just say, we kind of already talked about it, but I would just, one other thing that's come to me, the overarching part is that the key difference between audio docs and video docs is that you have to be way more choosy with who you put in the audio docs yeah, because you don't yeah. want to just introduce a random person and not have them the rest of the episode. So like, yeah, this is something that we kind of figured out like yeah. as we're doing this, because you know, in an, in a video documentary, you can have the person, you can see the person's face. So, you know, it's a new person. There's a lot of visual right. cues. You can put a bar across the bottom that says like his high school coach or whatever you can do. You can take a little bit more liberties, but in this you've had to really restrict to kind of like, maximum five to 10 people an yeah. episode because otherwise it gets confusing who's speaking who's right this thing and you can't always introduce every person you know yeah exactly and like i don't think like i've watched the last dance so many times there's a lot of people like sports writers that are used only for very specific sections that won't come up again the whole series and you don't think twice about it in a video doc whereas with the audio doc there are so many great one-liners that other people have said who i didn't put in because they don't you don't they don't have anything else to add to the episode and someone else says it there's only one kyle klingman kyle klingman made it in for one line and there was <laughs> he had on the initial right there was he was a big part of that section like he had so much more in there like that's another one where there's just tons of great stuff that uh he was my guy for the era of the juco transfer so there were two big oh, scenes oh wow okay yeah that, i mean he's a real like wonky inside baseball kind of guy yeah he knows he knows everything about everything right everything yeah so yeah. it's just uh i don't know i just was thinking about the biggest evolution i would say that's it like picking like the three to four people that you think are going to be the main storytellers but then also interviewing another 15 people because by the time you get to that main guy like a tj williams or reggie Wright, you want to have three to four other ones done that kind of inform you what that one's going to be like you know so there's so many people i interviewed you have that deep did. background yeah right Right. Exactly. From like maybe a teammate or someone. And so there's a lot of people out there who don't go in them and it's just like, they don't know how much they inform the story or the research for the next interviews, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel like by the time you get to the story, like, you know, everything there is to know about every angle. Sometimes I ask you about something that's not even in the documentary. It's like a separate thing. That was a side story. And you know, the whole side story, you know, you've, you've gone down that street, you've come back, You've taken all the branches of that street. You, you've, you've investigated every corner, every dead end, and you come back to the story and you, you know all that stuff because it's just like the whole thing. And actually, do you know about Hemingway's iceberg theory? Tell me about it. 
Hemingway's iceberg theory is that, you know, you only see the small percentage of the iceberg above the water and the rest is below. And he says that as a writer, you need to, you only want to show the top part, but you have to know all the bottom part. Right. So he's like, you want to know all the stuff in your head, know everything there is to know about your characters, but you don't want to show it. And you show only the parts that you absolutely need to show. I like and that. the reader or the listener in this case will understand the rest. As long as you know it, even if you don't say it, it'll come through in the, in the, in the writing or in, in the um, speaking, I guess it is. Yeah, no, it's a good point because you, otherwise you're not going to be able to speak about it confidently if you don't do all that research underneath, you know, I really, when you say that two things come into my mind, one is just like the whole Chechnya story of Satya. That was like a world where like, the amount of stuff that would we had to read just to even get to the point that you know of, of the part that everyone heard was a lot you know because that was really yeah. foreign to me Chechnyan and that whole world you know so was this inner city of chicago really i mean this is a lot of a lot of books on like you know gang violence and just really dark stuff sometimes you're like man this is like kind of depressing what really goes on in some of these places you know it's like it rubs yeah. off on you like Chechnya and like south side chicago are two places that I would never wish anyone to go to <laughs> like in a wartime, wow. you know, really I just got chills, man. Think about the, think about the, the, the similarities between those, those stories, and those places, man. Bro. Like, wow. Dark. Yeah. Like it's just, it's uh it's intense. And that's why the people that make it out are so interesting. But isn't that like, yeah, that's amazing. You read a whole book and maybe one line comes oh, yeah. in from that book. And this whole thing, I remember I, I read a whole book about when I was writing my book about, you know, fighting MMA in Peru. I, read a book about the history of Peru and the Spanish invasion, the conquest of the Incas, but this whole thing. And I kind of like, I went to Machu Picchu and like explained in the first draft, I had the whole thing about the whole freaking history of the thing. And it all got cut out. And I don't think any of it was in there, but I, again, the iceberg thing, I think that it wouldn't have been as strong if I had not read that. I don't think anything made it in there, but Right. It's, it's it's that background of knowing that, that thing. And you can say things with more confidence and you can know uh, what it is and you can actually take that step forward and, and moving. Bro, but, it's funny you say that because my next project's about this guy who defected from Iran, the first Iranian athletes ever to defect after the revolution. So this morning was like my first big day researching. I was watching interviews of like Ayatollah Khomeini and I'm like, will this ever even be in there? Like, what am I doing with my life, bro? And I got four books to my right. It's like, all the Shah's men, the Shah, Khomeiniism. Like, I'm like, I don't. Oh my God. I love this. Up. I'm so, I'm so oh. in. I'm so in. Uh, it's, uh, I love that stuff though. And I'm like, I'm convincing myself it's moving the story forward. But sometimes you're like, I don't know if it is, but obviously it all is. Listen, if you need any Iranian voice actors, I got, I got plenty. Perfect. I got plenty of Iranian friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. This will be a uh... background. Yeah. Though it's, it's, it's fascinating. I love, again, you're a history guy. Uh, I, I love, love it. It's, it, it's, it's awesome. And so, okay. So that's, that's the next project you're announcing it. Have you? Yeah. You yeah. It's a... is this, is this so... the official announcement. What's, what's the deal? Official announcement. Yeah. And it's, um, it's the, you know, my dream is to direct a feature length documentary. And I've, I've always said it's a 30 for 30. It doesn't have to be that, but like a feature length 90 minute sports doc is my dream, right? So I've done five to six audio docs at this point, done some video projects on the side, but this summer we're going to be doing our first short documentary film. It's going to be anywhere from 13 to 16 minutes. 
yeah, I'm going to submit it in all the film festivals. So I'm going all in on it. I don't even think I'm going to edit it. I'm going to hire someone to edit it. Um, but yeah, I think um, the filming is going to take place. So I'll just give you a quick synopsis. After yes, the, do it. After let's, the re- let's hear it. Let's hear it. So <laughs> after the revolution in 79, there was just a lot of chaos in Iran. These four wrestlers who are on the Iranian national team defected in 1982. They're the first athletes to defect from Iran after the revolution. And, you know, in Iran, wrestlers are like gods, right? So it was a big deal that like the national heroes defected and they defected at this tournament in Venezuela. They got stuck in Venezuela for six months that no one would take them in. They were living like basically homeless. So they decided to turn themselves back into the Iranian embassy. There was no direct flight from Iran. From this Venezuela. is, this is, I'm already hooked. This is Bro. like insane. Yeah. So there's wow. no direct flight from Venezuela to Iran. So they turn themselves back in. There's a public execution waiting for them when they get home. But the plane goes from Venezuela to Madrid and they stop at the Madrid airport, get off, hide in the bathroom. And they ended up getting taken in by the Spanish government for three years. And then they ended up going to the U.S. But this whole story is like these four wrestlers did this. Meanwhile, back in Iran, their families are being interrogated. Their families are being imprisoned. Like it was it's just a crazy freaking story. So it's going to be a short film this summer. Can't wait, bro. I, oh my god! I you told me this before. You like kind of mentioned this to me before, but I, the, you never told me the detail on that level. I'm like, wow, that. That's I've tightened incredible. up a lot of. I've tightened up oh the pitch god. a lot in the past two weeks because I've been deep on it, or the past week because I've been uh I've been into it. But yeah, man, like the so one of the guys who defected, the kind of the main guy, he lives in Orange County. His sisters, he helped defect like six years later, they all live in Brussels. So they're get, having like a family reunion this June in Brussels. So I'm going there to interview the hero and his sisters. And then the other wrestler, bro, this other part of it, I forgot <laughs> to tell you, the other wrestler who escaped also super legit, like wrestled Dave Schultz in the US Open. In 1987, he's getting ready to make the US Olympic team. The LAPD arrests him for selling heroin. He goes to jail. He is in jail during the Olympic trials. It comes to find out he's totally innocent. He sues the LAPD. They give him $3 million for false imprisonment and planning drugs on him. So then in 1998, he wins his $3 million settlement, goes to Nicaragua and becomes the president of the Nicaraguan Wrestling Federation and is still in Nicaragua what? today. So what going- is happening? What? <laughs> you just, like, you That's just a 30 blew for 30. my mind. That's what? another 30 for 30. So I'm going to Nicaragua the first week of June to interview this guy. So, so why Nicaragua? What he's convinced that so he was he was wrestling I speak at Spanish. Cast- Take me. I would love to, bro. <laughs> I need to. So he in 1982 they get to Spain. 1985 they get to the U.S. Both of these guys join the Cal State Fullerton wrestling team, and they're like legit, legit. So they're all Americans, and yeah, this guy's training for the Olympics. Fucking, he sells heroin to an undercover cop. Claims he had no knowledge what was in the briefcase and that an Iranian like uh, government official planted it on him. And I guess the planning was so obvious that a jury easily let him off. And yeah, he got awarded all this money for damages and for like being in jail during the Olympic trials and missing his dream. So then he went on to become the head coach at Cal State Fullerton, wins the settlement, moves to Nicaragua. Why are you doing a video versus audio? I think it's just time to make the jump, man. Like I need, like I would regret it if I didn't, give myself a shot at making like a, a serious film. And uh, when I say that, I mean like really playing out the story just like I would for an audio doc. 
the same level of detail and story building. And I just want to have something else, just, you know, flex that muscle. And I, I may never do a film project again, but it's just good to, uh, you know, get a new, uh, a new vehicle, you know, kind of flex well, that muscle. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, I think that's super exciting. I think it's amazing. You can do a lot more, you, you have different constraints, right? Every medium has a different constraint, right? Medium, have, that's what I was going so, for. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, I guess every media is at the plural. I don't know. Anyway, you have, you have, you can show a lot more, as we said before, you can show a lot more people, but then if you don't have video of something, you just have to show someone talking about it. So it's kind of the whole. And then like a B-roll, like photo or like news. Yeah, B-roll, so, all that stuff. You got to get a lot of footage. And is there like, did you choose this one specifically? Cause there's more footage or anything like that, or was it just because so, it's time? So this one I was actually going to do last fall. And after Slang Satia, this is the first project I had in the queue to do this short film then called the main guy's name's Reza. I've had him on the podcast. So I, I know his story. And I know how amazing of a person he is. So I know him. And basically it was like still during COVID and we couldn't get his sisters to the US. And I wanted to do it when we could interview his sisters as well. So like last September, we agreed to push this off until this July. And so his whole family has been planning to get to Brussels this June, specifically for the filming of this project. So it's like a big family reunion. And I'm so excited, bro. I'm so, so mad that I'm not going to be like, as I'm always in Europe. The I'm only always time. I'm always in Europe and I'm always I like know. a flight away, an easy flight. I can just be there. And I'm so mad that I can't right now. I thought um, we would uh, meet at some point in Cheshire to do this. I was convinced we were going to get Satya, but not right now. Not right not now. Not now. Like, I mean, but like no, back no, in the no. day. I know. I know. I have no desire to go to Russia right now. I want to go to no, no, no. The world, but I have no desire to go to Russia right now. Um, so yeah. So I always wanted to go. I always wanted to go to Chechnya and Dagestan, but you know, not now. That's past. Yeah. yeah. Those days are gone for a while, but yeah, yeah. So basically, the filming will be done for this by mid July. You know, I'll transcribe everything by mid August, write the script. The script will be done by like end of September. Then I'll ship it off. I think I'm gonna have this edited, just because like if you look at any legit sports doc, the director never edits himself. It's just like it's its own skill. So better time than ever to practice working with an editor. So I think I'm gonna have someone else edit it. I may change my mind, but the reason I'm not editing it myself is that. I would have to buy like a 6,000 hour computer to be able to handle this much footage. Like my MacBook barely handles Premiere Pro. Really? Bro, no, but you, barely. but anyway, but anyway, I agree with you. Like a professional editor, they, they do things that you and I don't know, don't, couldn't even, couldn't even imagine, you know, right. but, uh, but yeah, yeah so it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see that, that, that new transition into that separate, uh, new new media or whatever but um yeah. but then right after that it'll be back to an audio doc so there'll be another audio doc for, <laughs> before uh i would think you know hopefully we'll release it like next february so that we can promote it at the ncaa's that'll be sick and you know one thing i want to ask you this before we're, we're kind of wrapping up here but yeah. one thing i want to ask you before that i never got around to was talk about the responses you've got from the people that you've done these audio documentaries about you know Brandon Slay, uh, John Smith, Pat Smith, uh, yeah. Tony Davis. Like, I think this is the coolest thing because I think it's it's the biggest challenge is really telling someone's story truthfully and, and, and really capturing the essence of it and, and doing it justice while, yeah. you know, like showing the good and the bad and everything like that. And so like, talk about the response you've gotten from these people. Yeah. And that's why I, I admire these people so much for telling their stories because 
we're going to strip them down and make them human. And however we do that may not always be the most flattering. And, you know, they trust us to tell the story, honestly. So everyone we've done it on most recently, Tony, you know, I, I got a voicemail, Tony, listen to the doc. I called him back. And he was like, blow. I was out, bro. I was blown away. Like, this would be something I can share with my kids and my grandkids, you know? So, oh my God. That's so yeah. cool. And like, that <laughs> Smith said the same thing. Like, that's always a theme. It's like, I'll have this to show my kids of what it was really like going through all this, because how often do you get to hear what all your best friends and coaches think about your accomplishments? Like never, we were always kind of wondering what do people think about us? Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone, uh, you know, Brandon and, and obviously coach Sean Smith, you know, I probably talked to him the least after the interviews as anyone, just cause he's so busy, which like I read that the director of last dance has never spoke to Michael Jordan since those interviews. So it's not all that surprising, but everyone at the time of release has been just so excited that we were able to get into the nuts and bolts as much as we did, but also keep the story moving, you know, like keep, keep it building and keep it, keep it turning. So the response from these people has been unbelievable. And again, it's like, as we're doing this, I'm thinking Tony Davis is going to hate me after this. Like he's going to be so angry because we're going too deep here. Or I thought the same thing about John Smith when we were talking about the Cuban stuff, like he's not going to want to share all this. So it's just always relieving to hear that they enjoy it and um, appreciate all the work that goes into it. Cause it's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I saw Brandon Slay, uh, I don't know, a few months ago. And I, I, I told him, you know, I was like, how, how would you think it? And he was so complimentary. He was saying, I, I was so thankful that you told my story, right. And that, that you really did, did all the hit on all the cylinders and everything like that. And, uh, and it was cool. It was really cool. It was, uh, it, it's, it's, it's nice to hear that. And I, I think like, who wouldn't want that? I mean, like who out there, who out there wouldn't want someone to interview? Well, maybe some people, you know, Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's cool to be able to tell these stories and, you know, like the story of Tony Davis is, is such a redemption story. You know, he had, there's, there's, there's warts, there's, there's, he had, criminal past and everything like that but then it's really a happy story it's a really happy ending he, yeah. he succeeded he graduated from college he he became a, a high school teacher and he's like recognized by the state of north carolina i think it was yeah. and uh and it's it's a success story it's a story i think every i think i told you this but like i think every beat the streets uh, organization should should show that story to people you know yeah. like because it's about a guy that was involved in gang violence but like superseded it by his wrestling career by dedicating yeah. himself to something like that and so it's it's really powerful as you said it i was thinking it is a happy story and it's a redemption story because it could have gone the other way and like as i'm sitting here thinking though it's like we've never done a story on one where it doesn't work out and most 30 for 30s, it doesn't work out in the end. Like the guy, you know, doesn't get his shit together or the guy doesn't win the, you know, the Olympics against the Russian. So now that I'm hearing that, I'm thinking maybe, maybe <laughs> a story needs to be told. The guy maybe a really depressing it. story. Really. Right. Right. Usually those stories about someone that cheated or did some right wacky thing that, that didn't work out. And like, yeah. I don't know. You know. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get to one of those one day, but, uh, I hope, uh, we know who we're hoping for next. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he's crossed. been on this podcast. I totally forgot that. Like, that's so embarrassing to forget that. Like I, that episode was kind of like a weird one. 
I shouldn't even have been on the episode. I was like a fly on the wall. <laughs> As these Olympians but are for the listener talking, who we ta- who we talking about right talking now. about DC talking about DC yeah because we had the episode where Guerrero Jamil Kelly and DC a couple of Olympians are on here having water cooler talk and I'm like the dorky podcaster in the background I'm like what am I even doing here like, <laughs> shut you're up the, and go the, on you're mute the, you're the fourth wheel there <laughs> like I don't even want to chime in I'm like what am I gonna say to this like I don't it's like you, you have nothing to even add so other than that though. That that would be a great one. Um, I just think so many people. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. I was gonna say so many people love DC, so that'd be a great one. And his story is unbelievable. You know, like I, I, I was telling you, kind of the criteria for a story that I heard from the guy who did the U, uh, which is Billy Corbin. He also did Cocaine Cowboys. He's done a ton of documentaries. You've you've spoken with him. Spoken with him, yeah, briefly through email. He, um, his rule is though, it's called RAS relevance access story. So like how yeah, relevant, yeah, okay. how relevance the story, how much access do you have? Like, is there a lot of archival? Is there, are the people willing to meet, you know, sometimes like the main character won't ever meet with you and then story, like, it's not only like, is it a good story, but why are you uniquely qualified to tell this story? So, wow. yeah. yeah. So like, I love that criteria and you know, these wrestling ones, it's, I'm comparing it to like, why are we more qualified than Jason Ayer did the last stand? So it's like, well, we know the wrestling world and like what DC came to better than you. Like, I'm sorry, like we're better qualified to tell that story, even though you did. For the sure. Last yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think about that. And so a couple stories hit that, you know, a couple topics hit that criteria for me. That would be amazing audio docs that will be up next. So there's a, there's a bunch of, not a bunch, but there's like three to four that would just be unbelievable for that. So what are they? Yep. So I would love to tell the DC story. I'd love to tell the Sergey story. I would also love to tell Kevin Jackson through either the angle of like his rivalry with Royce Alger, which that's very hyper wrestling. So maybe not. Yeah, I didn't, to me. I, I didn't even know. But like, I know Kevin Jackson and Royce Alger, but I didn't know the details of that. Yeah. Massive rivalry dating in like not even like a hated one. but They wrestled like 10 times. Royce beat Kevin in the finals of the NCAs and then Kevin took Royce off the Olympic team. So, and they, they traveled together in Russia and, you know, Royce is a wild man and all that kind of shit, you know? So there's like, we all know that we we love that. So that (laughs) people have been calling for a Royce Alger documentary since I've started this podcast. I I would listen to that. Yeah. Anyway, you know, you've done all these projects and like I said before, they're, they're so, I mean, they're so intense. They're so time consuming. You're so dedicated to them and you're, you're so invested in all this stuff. Like, what is it like when you finish, you know, I don't know for me, when I finish a project it kind of feel a little bit empty, especially when you're so, you're so consumed in, in something that, that is like, almost like you're, you're, you're losing yourself a little bit. What's it like when yeah. you finish? It's a, it's definitely a change because in your mind, like any spare moment you have over the last seven months has been living in this world of what it's been like for this other person, what the story is going to look like. So you definitely feel a little empty. I would say I've gotten better at planning for it though. So like after the Smiths, I had no idea what the next story was going to be. And I had no idea when it would be. So that was a really big shift because that was a massive project. After slaying Satya, I had an idea of what I wanted to do it wasn't lined up this one this story's been lined up these interviews have been booked for this june since like last september so like it feels a lot better knowing what's next but even still 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was just lazy, sleeping in, eating junk food all day. I had a, this time I, I developed an Oreo bender. I ate three full packs of Oreos consecutive days. Like, uh, like maybe I would have like back in the day gone out, like drinking all night. Now I'm like to the point of my life where I'm just eating Oreos. So like I, my fiance came home and she's like, are you literally going to eat a third full pack of Oreos three days in a row? I'm like, yes. And, uh, that was my, uh, my downward spiral after this, but I got back on the workout train on <laughs> Thursday and, uh, eating healthy again. I'm back to the basics and, you know, Monday, this is Monday morning. So it's been a week. It feels good to be back on like getting up early, spending the first four hours of the day researching for a documentary. So it feels normal again. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's much worse vices than Oreos, but I know you're a healthy guy. You're, you're a guy yeah. who, who keeps a nice diet, keeps regimented and everything like that. So to, 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 for you, that's a, that's, that's off the oh. wagon there, but normally uh, I go Monday through Friday, eating clean, <laughs> intermittent fasting till noon, working out five days a week. I'm known every Friday. I always order a pizza from at home. It's so like Friday through Sunday. It's fucking chaos. Chicago pizza. What? Lumonati's or what? Lumonati's. Lumonati's. It can be Chicago <laughs> style. And my order's gotten crazy over time, but now it's like Caesar salad, lose thin crust, and uh, you know maybe a Sprite, maybe a chocolate chip cookie. So I go hard on the dessert day. And when I'm not in discipline, when I'm not in structure, I lose that. And I just go freaking like a kid after a weigh-ins, eating like a freaking animal. So I was like getting empanadas at like three in the afternoon. I was off the rails. So yeah, my off the rails off, now in that, life that's, is That's food. off your rails. It's all food related. <laughs> Yeah. You're so. going crazy, man. Don't uh keep it under control, man. I know you know once <laughs> you get too crazy there. I know. But man. uh but anyway, yeah, man, this was this was so much fun to you know, we, we we spent so much time on this episode working through it, all the nitty-gritty and the last few, you know, all all of them. And uh it's it's so fun just to to come on and shoot the shit and, and oh, talk man. about this stuff. We got to do it everyone from here on out because so many of the times we talk, I wish it was in, like, I wish it was a documentary because it's not, I mean, not a documentary, but a podcast, because it's, I think it would be interesting to hear how we come up with what scenes go in and what go out in the order of things. So yeah, we'll do this every time from now on. And it was good to have you come on here. So prepared to ask me questions. Cause I, this is the only podcast I've done in years where I wasn't, didn't do any prep. So I'm excited that it went smooth and <laughs> It's been a, it's been good, man, to talk through it and flush some of these ideas out. It's good closure for us to move on. Uh, you're you're going to be starting your summer job and I'm going to be working on uh, this new project. So good closure for sure. Yeah. Well, I look forward to the next project and uh, oh, you're going to love I, the Iranian history stuff. You're going to freaking, I love mean, it. from a history, you just, you, you had me with all the, 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 the talk there, but Venezuela, you got Venezuela, Spain, everything like that. I'm in, I'm in Nicaragua, Nicaragua is in there too. What? Come on. Yeah. Come on. So, you uh, know, you know what I like and that's, LAPD that's right drug plants, dude, I'm telling you, there's so much in this story. Like I, yeah, I'm excited, but uh, yeah, well, I digress, man. Good to chat with you again, brother. And thanks so much for coming on. You too, man. Thank you. Hey guys, if you're looking to order custom team apparel for this freestyle and Greco season, look at SpartanCombat.com. They're running a special right now on custom team apparel, whether it's for Fargo, the NHSCA duels, or your freestyle and Greco state. Please consider Spartan Combat. Go to SpartanCombat.com to place your order.